The opinions and statements expressed in the following program do not necessarily reflect those of WWDB, its staff, or management. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Positively Pro-Life, a podcast brought to you by the Pennsylvania Pro-Life Federation. Positively Pro-Life brings you inspirational stories, important legislative updates, and informative interviews as we restore and strengthen a culture of life. I'm Bonnie Finnerty, Education Director at the Federation, and I'm joined by my distinguished colleague, Maria Gallagher, our Legislative Director. Hello, Maria. Hello, Bonnie. It's great to be with you today. It is great to be with you. Maria, often the issue of abortion is framed as being a woman's issue. But we know that every abortion involves not just a mother and preborn child, but also a father. And we know that after 50 years of legalized abortion, that there are today millions of men carrying very deeply within them the wound of abortion. Today's guest is one such man. Jeff Joaquin has become a nationwide speaker on the topic of men and abortion grief. He'll bravely and openly share his own journey with us and reveal how he ultimately found healing. Jeff's story is a powerful one that everyone should hear. In addition, Maria will be discussing the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. But first, we'll start with a quick bit of inspiration. And this one comes via one of our own staff members here in our office named Anne Marie. She's been updating us on her cousin, who, after a complicated pregnancy, delivered twin babies at just 26 weeks. The babies, Landon and Madison, weighed in at just two and two and a half pounds at birth, and they've been receiving excellent care in a NICU at a hospital in Eastern PA. Now, because both babies needed a high level of intervention that included a respirator and feeding tubes, et cetera, Since birth, the twins have been in separate beds until yesterday. After 55 days in the NICU, the babies, a little heavier and a lot healthier, were reunited into one little cradle at the hospital. And they embraced, literally embraced one another. Anne-Marie shared a picture around the office of these siblings sweetly snuggled closely to one another, showing the natural instinct to gravitate toward the other. After all, these little humans shared the same room for over six months and surely sensed and felt one another through every developmental milestone. Upon birth, they must have felt lost without the other, wondering where he or she was, longing to touch, feel, and embrace. The picture is priceless and adorable, but it also demonstrates our innate desire to be in relationship with one another. These babies have no language yet, and their brains are not even fully developed, yet these premature infants know a fundamental truth. We need one another. Now, on the podcast, there's no way for me to show this very endearing picture, but if you go to the Federation's Facebook or Twitter page today, I will be posting the picture there. The picture will bring a smile to your face and inspiration to your heart. Maria. Absolutely beautiful, Bonnie. Thank you so much. 
The following is from a National Right to Life news release. The National Right to Life Committee praised the passage of the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act, H.R. 26, sponsored by Representative Ian Wagner. The bill passed in a vote of 220 to 210. Democrats attempted to hijack this common sense vote to push their agenda of abortion without limit until birth. Representative Diana DeJet, a Democrat from Colorado, offered the motion to recommit following debate over the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. The motion to recommit would have amended the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act to include the radical Women's Health Protection Act. The motion failed by a vote of 212 to 219. The so-called Women's Health Protection Act would nullify all state and federal laws designed to protect unborn children and their mothers. The Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act is reasonable legislation that would protect a baby born alive following an abortion, said Carol Tobias, president of the National Right to Life Committee. We thank House Pro-Life Leader Speaker McCarthy, Majority Leader Steve Scalise, and Representative Kat Kamak for their leadership on this issue, and Representative Ann Wagner for sponsoring this bill. In the wake of the Dobbs versus Jackson decision, several states are moving not only to fully legalize abortion up to the moment of birth, but also going to great lengths to insulate abortion providers from even the most basic scrutiny. Against this backdrop, there is renewed urgency to pass the Born Alive Abortion Survivors Protection Act. Bonnie. Thank you, Maria. Well, I am honored to introduce today's guest. Jeff Joaquin is the owner of JMJ Site Development, a philanthropic construction company supporting worthy ministries all over the world, from the Philippines, India, the Central Africa Republic, Guatemala, Jerusalem, and across the entire United States. For more than 14 years, Jeff has been deeply involved in the That Man Is You program that has been offered at over 800 parishes across the United States. Jeff has also embarked on a new journey to create awareness of the often overlooked men's perspective on abortion. He lays bare the impact and lifelong burden of guilt and grief that men carry after abortion while also offering a path to healing. Jeff has given talks on abortion, pro-life, substance abuse, and charity to high school students, men's conferences, and retreats all over the country. His abortion talk has received national attention and has been played on That Man Is You, Formed.org, Shalom Media, Heroic Men, and countless other media outlets. Jeff has a YouTube channel as well, where many of his talks can be accessed, and I will be linking to that in the podcast notes. Jeff and his wife, Sandy, have one daughter and reside in Tampa Bay, where they've been for the last 25 years. Welcome, Jeff, to Positively Pro-Life. Thank you, Maria and Bonnie, for having me. Jeff, how did you experience abortion in your life? You know, Maria, the, uh, I was raised in a good Catholic Christian family. Um, mother and father brought me to CCD classes, to church every Sunday. Um, and had a, a very good example, a very good mother, very good father. Uh, my older brother, Mark, is about five years older than me. And when he entered into high school, 
I think his junior or senior year, he got his girlfriend pregnant. So long story short, that was a big black guy from my family and I, and my brother had to have a shotgun wedding. So I put that in context because when I entered into high school, being five years behind my brother, I can remember the words of my mother telling me that if, if you make the same mistake as your brother, we'll have you castrated. So I, I entered into my high school years kind of in a box. Um, my mother didn't mean to put me there, but, but nonetheless, I was there. And then senior year came along. I had developed a, a significant relationship with my girlfriend at the time. And then in the July of 1987, I got that phone call, that phone call that many men on this call probably have received. And that phone call started off with, we have a problem. And I asked my girlfriend at the time, what kind of problem do we have? And she said, well, I'm pregnant. And I told her a very, very uh, confused, very uh, nerve wracking uh, phone call. Obviously, I was taken off guard. I was getting ready to go to college and, and hopefully go on to the NFL for a, a football career. And this certainly was going to get in the way of that. So I told my girlfriend I'd call her back in 24 hours and let her know what I thought we should do with this problem that we had. And I didn't pray about it. I just called her back the next day and asked her to set up the appointment for the abortion. So about a week later, we jumped in the car, drove down to Providence, Rhode Island is about 40 minutes from where we grew up. I did not say a word to my girlfriend on the way down to the, to the, to the uh, clinic. And when we arrived at the Portacache, I dropped her off and she looked at me and she asked, are you going to come in and join me? And that was my second cowardly uh, decision as a man. I didn't even go into the, the clinic with her. But I did go out into the parking lot and it was July of 1987. And the facility had a bunch of oak trees around the perimeter of it. It was very hot. I didn't have air conditioning in my car. And at that time, I can remember this is the first time that I actually asked God, um, you know, what kind of mistake am I making here? And I remember the words ringing out, you know, God, is this what hell's going to feel like? And, and about two hours later, my girlfriend came out of the, the clinic after having the abortion. I drove her home, gave her the medicine that they gave us, the pain medicine, and called her up 24 hours later and broke up with her. So that's unfortunately the cowardly decision that I made at the age of 17 um, to not stand up for my girlfriend. Uh, and I sacrificed my fatherhood on the altar of convenience. Jeff, what impact did abortion have on you in subsequent years? You know, Bonnie, that's a tremendous question. Just like most men, many of them listening on the call, I'm an expert at burying my feelings and my emotions deep inside me. I had built a wall up around me uh, to try to prevent the outside from getting in. And for me getting to the outside, essentially, I didn't, I wanted to keep that secret to me and my girlfriend. And, and really, quite frankly, the only way I dealt with that problem was through, I medicated myself with alcohol and drugs and pornography, you know, the same tools that men use, you know, to, to try to make themselves feel good. And really, it wasn't until I turned 31 or 32 years old, Bonnie, that I, that I started to uh, bring the issue of that abortion 
that had happened, you know, 15 years before to the surface. And the only reason I did that was because my wife and I at the time were in the process of trying to get pregnant. So how did I deal with the abortion? I buried it deep down inside my heart and tried to pretend like it didn't happen. Jeff, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Bonnie. Follow up. Um, Do you think that that affected emotionally your relationship with your wife or how you dealt with issues? Yeah, well, that's, you know, the, my wife in my mid twenties, I shared the abortion story with her that had occurred eight or nine years later. And really, quite frankly, Bonnie, it galvanized our relationship. You know, my wife is my essentially burden sharer and she was able to carry and, she, and carry the burden that cross that I that I was carrying but again um I had buried it so deep that when I brought it to the surface she helped with that burden but still anytime it got to the point where I was really going to have to address the issue of taking the life of an unborn child I would just bury it and and um and go back to the way I'd been before Jeff, what words of comfort can you give to other post-abortive fathers? Now, that's a great question, Maria. You know, I'm going to use an Einstein quote. And Einstein defined insanity by doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different response or a result. And all I continued to do in my 20s was continue to bury that pain and anguish that I felt deep down inside from that abortion. And I kept doing the same thing over and over and then medicating myself, alcohol, drugs, pornography. And and what the men listening need to hear is all it takes for you as a Catholic Christian, all it took for me in my late thirties was for me to accept the decision that I had made so many years before, bring it to God, reconcile with God and have him forgive me. So, you know, what comfort can I give the men out there? Listen, the prophet Isaiah in chapter 43, verse four says this, you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you. So if there is a man listening right now that has buried the sin of abortion deep down inside, I say to you, come out of the darkness and come into the light and allow God's mercy to pour over you. He wants to forgive you for that sin, man and woman. He wants so dearly to reconcile with you. You just have to take that initial step. So, you know, the God of the universe loves you and, and he wants to reconcile with you, but you, he gives us free will and we have to take that first step. So take that first step, man and woman. And once somebody takes that first step, how can they achieve healing and hope? And maybe you can draw upon your own example. Yeah. You know, uh, Maria, the, for me, I, at the age of 38, so 21 years after the abortion that I had participated in, I finally got the courage to go to being Catholic Christian, go into the confessional and confess my sins. I had done a general confession, which takes about three months to prepare for. And you go through all the sins of your life. 
And that confession took about an hour and a, probably an hour and 20 minutes. And about an hour and 10 min minutes into that confession, I had to finally confess that I had taken the life of my unborn son. And I'll tell you, Maria, the tears were flowing down my cheeks. The priest was crying. When I got done with my confession and the priest gave me the words of absolution, he walked out of the confessional, walked over to me, and he said, welcome home, son. It had taken me, the hound of heaven had been hunting me down for 25 years to forgive me. And in an instant, through that confession, I was set free from my captivity. But really, for me, Maria, that was the first step of the, of the healing process. The second step we talked a little bit about, sharing that burden with my wife. You know, it, it, she is my other half. She, quite frankly, she carried me through my 20s um, when I was dealing with all these issues, not just the abortion, but the recovery from alcoholism and drug abuse. She was my rock. I know Peter was the rock for, for, for our Lord. Um, Sandy Jokin was the rock for me. So sharing my burden with her uh, uh, helped tremendously. But then the next step for me, quite frankly, was in through prayer, um, I needed to know, did I have a son or did I have a daughter in heaven? And I prayed to God and, and being the good and faithful God that he is, I can remember being in the, the chapel one day and, 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 and actually, quite frankly, this was after God had already given us the blessing of a daughter, but he didn't give me a son. And I was mad at God for that. And I'll never forget being in the chapel that day. And, and it was like getting hit in the chest with a, with a, a 3,000 pound vehicle. Because, because God said to me, he said, Jeff, I know that you're mad that you don't have a son. But what you have to understand is you do have a son. And he is standing right here with me in heaven. And he and I love you very much. So, the, the God in his infinite wisdom gave me the, 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 the gift of knowing that I had a son in heaven and his name was Jonathan Andrew Joquin. And I could pray to him every day and I could ask him for prayers for me. And, and that was a huge, huge step on, on the road to recovery. But really, quite frankly, Bonnie and Maria, the step in, in my journey, my recovery journey that helped me the most was when my spiritual director recommended to me that I call my former girlfriend and apologize to her. And keep in mind, I am probably 40 years old at the time. The abortion had taken place 23 years before. And I remember when my spiritual director recommended that to me, I, I told him, I said, Father Ed, I think you're a holy man. You're a wise man. But that is a bad idea. I don't think it's a good idea. But long story short, I, I you know, left the, the spiritual direction that day, went home, spoke to my wife. She was good with me calling my former girlfriend. So I, I reached out to her and 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 had probably the most difficult phone call I have had, I'm 53 now, in my entire life. 
because the enemy continued to tell me, even up to the age of 40, that it wasn't my fault that we had an abortion. It was her fault. It wasn't me being a coward and not going forward with the pregnancy. It was her. And, and the devil will lie to us. He lies to us. You know, it, it, he never stops lying to us. But by God's graces, I had the courage. I picked up the phone. I called her that day. And after a very awkward introduction, I apologized to her for putting her in that unthinkable position. You know, man, we have to remember, all we had to say was, I don't want to have that child. I want to sacrifice that child on the altar of convenience. But your, that girl, your girlfriend or your wife has to go into the exam room, has to put her legs up in a stirrup, and she has to undergo the pain associated, the physical pain associated with that. And so after I got done apologizing to her, I tell you, the 500-pound gorilla was lifted off my chest. And that was probably one of the most integral parts of my healing process um, um, that I've experienced uh, um, after taking the life of my unborn son in 1987. That's so powerful, Jeff. Thank you for sharing that. I, I, I did watch one of, several of your presentations on your YouTube channel, and one of them you mentioned writing a letter to your son. Can you briefly tell us about that? Yeah, it was, I watched the, um, um, the movie Unplanned with Abby Johnson, and at the end of that movie, she's standing in front of um, what is now the 40 Days for Life National Headquarters, but it was an abortion clinic. And she writes, she had written a letter to her two aborted children. I think one was a boy and one was a girl. And I, when I, after I saw that, when, when that movie was over, I went immediately into my office and I spent the next 15 minutes writing that letter. And it was, it was divinely inspired because the words just rolled off of, off of the pen onto the paper and, and I know it's had a, a, a big impact on a lot of people, especially men who are recovering from, from making this grievous decision. So, Jeff, as you've traveled around and given your talks, how have they been received? Yeah, you know, Bonnie, I, I, I am so humbled by the opportunities that God has put in front of me over the last three years. I'll give you two examples, one for the women who are listening and one for the men. You know, my story is, is a man's perspective on abortion, but I never realized what God had in store for, for uh, me telling that story. And I got invited to uh, speak at St. Pete Catholic High School in January of 2022 for the students there. There was about five or 600 of them um, in attendance. And I gave the, the abortion talk that you, you can see on the YouTube channel. And when we got done, Bonnie, you know, the, the principal asked me to stand off on the side so that anybody that wanted to interact on a one-on-one -on -one basis could, could do that. Well, there was a number of students that came up and thanked me and, and, and you know, offered a, a little bit of their story. But what really impacted me, there was a group of four girls. I would imagine they were probably around sophomore age, um, 15 years old. 
And if all four of them walked by and each one of them was, you know, they were at a little bit of a distance. They wanted to keep their distance. Each one of them said, thank you. But the third girl in line looked at me as she had a tear rolling down her right cheek and she rubbed her stomach in a counterclockwise direction. And she said, thank you. And I'll tell you that grace hit me like I've never been hit before. And I said to myself, God, did I just see what I saw? Is this a human life, God, that you are going to save because you allowed me the humility necessary to tell my story? And, that, and I, I, I remember that image, uh, Bonnie, today as if it happened this morning. So that was when I finally realized that my story is from a male's perspective, but it can also prevent a woman from making that unthinkable decision because they see my pain that I've had to go through for decades, quite frankly. And then for the men in the audience, I, actually, the very first time I gave this talk, Bonnie and Maria, was three, no, about seven years ago. And it was to a men's conference up in Jacksonville. And I got done with all of my story, the, the abortion, the alcohol, the drugs, the failed NFL career, uh, workaholism, so on and so forth. And then after we got done, we went over into the, um, the kitchen auditorium area. And there was about 25 men that were in a line that wanted to come up and talk to me. And about halfway through the line, a man probably in his mid-60s walked up it, with tears in his eyes. And he said, do you mind if I give you a hug, son? And he gave me a hug and he whispered in my ear, I had an abortion 42 years ago. And because you had the courage to talk about your abortion, I'm going to go to confession today. Well, we immediately walked him over to the, cat, the priest that was over on the side. And then I went back to the line. About three or four people later, there were two men that walked up, both of them in probably their late 20s, early 30s. And they started berating me, you know, telling me, I don't know why you share your story like that. Nobody can benefit from it. Who cares if you've had an abortion? So on and so forth. And right about the time he finished, I felt a hand on my right shoulder and I turned around and it was that 62 year old man who had just received reconciliation. And he said, do you mind if I give you a hug, my son, another hug? So I said, of course. And I gave him a hug that only two abortive men can give deep pain and suffering. And from behind me, the 28-year-old man that just got done berating me said to both of us, Dad, how do you know this man? That young man that was just telling me that I was a fool for talking about abortion, his father had just received reconciliation for aborting his brother or sister. So only God can come up with those types of situations. So that's one situation for the woman, one for the men. I could talk for three hours about interactions that I've had with, with uh, you know, sharing my story. And Jeff, we're going to leave it there. Thank you so very much. You are scoring touchdowns for life with every talk. And we want to thank you. And remember, there's always a reason to choose life. <laughs>